Good to be together tonight. Appreciate this time we've been able to spend and study and worship, not just tonight, but throughout the entirety of today. This morning in Bible class, then this morning in worship, having the opportunity to come back together tonight. Appreciate Benny, who's been leading us in our singing today, and appreciate that last song, reminding us of heaven. That's one of the reasons why we're here, isn't it? Because that's where our sights is set. That's where we're looking. We want to spend an eternity with Jesus and thankful to be with people who are like-minded in that way tonight. Let's go to Mark, the fourth chapter. If you have your Bible and you'd like to turn there with me, Mark chapter 4. And this evening, we're going to be looking at a very well-known parable in verses 1 through 20. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. If you go back to our Scripture reading from just a few moments ago, I think that one thing we see in that particular verse is how powerful the Word of God is. And perhaps you wouldn't even have to read that verse in order to understand how powerful the Word of God is. Maybe it's something that you've seen in your experience with Scripture. As you've read and studied the words of God, we see how powerful they actually are. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12 tells us that the Word of God is living and active. This is a powerful book. This is a book that does what no other book can do. A book that is unique in a category in a league that is all its own. This book is not dead. It's living. In fact, I would suggest to you that this is the only book that we have today that is actually a living document. This is not a book that sits on the sidelines and watches things happen. Scripture, the Word of God, is active. It's powerful. In fact, it's so powerful that as we continue reading in that verse, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is so powerful that it pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow. The Word of God is so powerful that it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. As we study this parable in Mark chapter 4, verses 1-20, through 20, which is oftentimes called the parable of the sower, and we think about how powerful the Word of God is, the question that I want you to consider, the question that I'm going to consider, is how do we respond to it? How do you, how do I, respond whenever we come into contact with these powerful words? For instance, when you're sitting in Bible class and you're thinking about a specific topic or a specific section of Scripture, how do you respond to that teaching? How do you respond to that topic or that section of Scripture? When we're together in assemblies like this one, regardless of who the speaker is, and the Bible is being opened and words from the Bible are being spoken, how do we respond to those words throughout the week? When we're sitting at home, and we read and study our Bibles just one-on-one, us and the Word of God. Maybe you're on a daily Bible reading plan. Maybe you just try to read a few few chapters in Scripture a day, regardless of where they come from. Whenever we read and we study the pages of this book, how do we respond to it? Mark chapter 4, verses 1-20 through is a parable that addresses that question head-on. It talks about five different ways that we respond to the Word of God. This parable has five different parts. Let's look at those together. Before we get into the parable, though, we need to take a few moments to notice the context of what's taking place here. 
Once again, the Bible points out to us in chapter 4 and verse number 1 that Jesus withdrew with His disciples to the Sea of Galilee. It was a place that was more isolated. It was a place that was more withdrawn from other people. But then we know when we study the Gospel of Mark, what happens when Jesus goes anywhere? The crowds follow Him. And that's exactly what happens in Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. A very large crowd gathered about Him. They wanted to hear His teaching. They wanted to spend time with Him. They wanted to experience Jesus on this particular occasion. And so as Jesus has withdrawn to the Sea of Galilee once again, and the people gather around Him, He doesn't miss out on an opportunity to teach them. He doesn't miss out on an opportunity to preach the Word of God. Going back to Mark chapter 1 and verse 38, that's the reason that He's here. That's one of the main purposes of His public ministry is to teach and proclaim the Word of God. And so He's prepared to do it. As this large crowd gathers on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, maybe you can picture this, Jesus gets into a boat. They push the boat out maybe a few feet, what I picture to be a few feet. It removes Jesus from the crowd just a little bit. It enables Him to teach in an unhindered way without this crowd of people pressing in on Him from every side. So, so picture this for just a second. You have this large multitude gathered on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is in a boat withdrawn from the shore just a few feet. He's sitting down. That's the way rabbis taught in His world. He's teaching them the Word of God. Verse 2 says He was teaching them many things in parables. Perhaps you know we're considering parables in our Wednesday night summer series. A little bit later this week on Wednesday night, we're going to think about what is a parable. And we're going to introduce parables for a little bit. So we're not going to go too much into that tonight. Jesus actually addresses that when you get down to 10, 11, 12, and 13. He talks a little bit about the purpose of parables. We'll talk about that in just a few days, Lord willing, on Wednesday night. But just to mention a little bit, a parable, as I'm sure you're well aware, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus takes a story, He takes a situation from everyday life and uses it to convey spiritual truths. The Bible says He's teaching them many things in parables. Many of those parables, a few parables, are recorded here in Mark, the fourth chapter. But the first one that Jesus presents, as we said, is oftentimes labeled as the parable of the sower. To my knowledge, this is one of the two parables that Jesus actually interprets. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take the parable, the interpretation, lay those two alongside one another, and evaluate ourselves. How do we respond to the Word of God? Like we said, there are five parts to this parable. The first one comes in chapter 4 and verse number 3, the sower. Jesus says, listen, this is at the end of verse number 3, He says, a sower went out to sow. Farmers back in this time, whenever they were sowing or spreading seed, they would take a bag of seed, they'd put it over their shoulder, and it would hang down in front of them right here. And as they were walking through their field, they would take handfuls of seed and throw it. Take a handful and throw it. Take a handful and throw it. They weren't really thinking about where the seed was going to land. They were just spreading the seed as far as as they could in the field that they were walking through. Sometimes the seed would fall on good soil and it would be very productive. It would produce a very productive fruit. Sometimes it would not be as productive. It would land on bad soil. And we're going to see that illustrated throughout this parable. 
But as we begin, we have a picture of a man. He has this, this satchel, this bag of seeds sitting at his waist, and he's taking handfuls and throwing it. What's the interpretation to that? What is the symbolic meaning behind the sower who is sowing his seed? Well, skip down to chapter 4 and verse number 14. Like we said, Jesus interprets this for us. He says, the sower sows the Word. What do we see in that? We see our responsibility as followers of Jesus. We see a responsibility that we are to fulfill every single day of our lives wherever we go. Just like a sower is walking through his field and spreading the seed and throwing it out by handfuls, as Christians we are to take the gospel with us wherever we go. As Christians, we are to take the gospel and to share it with each and every person we come into contact with. And maybe sometimes we don't share the gospel in the first place because we're scared how people are going to respond to it. Look at the sower. He's taking handfuls of seed and not really thinking about where it lands. Not really thinking about what soil it falls into because if you spread the seed enough, ultimately it's going to fall into good soil and it's going to produce a good crop that's going to yield a lot of fruit. In the same way as Christians, we take the Gospel with us wherever we go. And we share the Gospel with whoever we can find regardless of how we think they might. Respond. We share the gospel in the way we live. We share the gospel in the way we talk. But that only is going to get you so far. Ultimately, you have to come to the point where you're looking at the seed. Where you're thinking about the Word of God together. Opening up Scripture and seeing what the Word of God has to say. And so that's the first part of the parable. The sower. That's one way that we can respond to the Word of God that we are so changed and transformed by it ourselves. We can't help but share it with those that we come into contact with. The second part of this parable is the seed that's sown along the path. You see that in chapter 4 and verse 4. The sower is walking through his field. He's taking handfuls of seed and throwing it. The Bible says, as he sowed, some fell on the path. Some fell on the road. And as a result, it wasn't able to sink down into the soil. It wasn't able to germinate. It just sat on top of the road. And as a result of that, the birds caught whiff of it. The birds came down and take it and ate the seed as it wasn't able to sink into the ground, but instead just sat on the surface. What's the interpretation? What's the symbolic meaning? Again, skip down. To Mark chapter 4 and verse 15, Jesus tells us that these are the ones along the path where the Word is sown. What's the first thing that they do? This is going to be a common denominator with each of these four groups that we're going to talk about over the next few minutes. They all hear the Word of God. We're not talking about people who close their ears and run away. We're not talking about people who are unwilling to listen to what the Word of God has to say. Here we're talking about people in verse 15, they hear the Word of God, but they don't allow it to sink into their hearts. They listen to what Scripture has to say, but it remains on the surface. And because it remains on the surface and it doesn't sink into their hearts, Satan has the opportunity to immediately come and to take away the Word that is sown in them. Maybe we need to take a few minutes to talk to those who have never made the decision to become 
a Christian. Maybe we have some of those who are here with us tonight where you've never made the decision to be baptized into Jesus. You've never made the decision to become a follower of Jesus. Chances are you've heard the Word of God. Chances are you've heard what you need to do in order to make that commitment to hear the Word of God, place your faith in that Word, repent of your sins, confess the name of Jesus, be buried in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I'd say for for the majority of us in here tonight, that's not a new message. It's something that we've heard before. And so the question is, if you've never made the decision to become a Christian, why is that? Why are you allowing the Word of God to just sit on the outside instead of sinking into your heart? Why are you allowing Satan to come and to take the Word that's sitting on the outside of your heart? And there could be a number of different reasons for that. Maybe you're really comfortable with where you are in life right now and you're a little bit afraid of, intimidated by the responsibilities of living as a Christian. Maybe you feel like you're too far gone and God could never forgive you. God doesn't want you. God doesn't desire you because of the mistakes that you've made. I think the list could go on and on, but a question that you need to consider if you've never been baptized into Jesus is why aren't you letting the Word of God sink down deep? Why aren't you allowing it to germinate? Why is it just sitting on the outside being allowed for Satan to come and snatch it away. Just like the birds come and snatch away the seed that lands on the road. The third part of this parable that Jesus presents to us is the seed that is sown on the rocky ground. We see that in chapter 4 and verse number 5. Again, the sower is walking through his field. He's sowing his seed. And some of the seed fell on rocky ground. In this part of the world, in many places, there's a very thin layer of topsoil And then under that thin layer of topsoil is a very thick layer of limestone. And so Jesus says when the sower is sowing his seed, some of the seed is going to fall into that rocky ground, that thin layer of topsoil that underneath it is a thick layer of limestone. What happens? Jesus says immediately the crop is going to shoot up. And it's going to grow very fast. And it's going to look like it's doing very well But because it has no depth of soil and its roots aren't able to go deep because of the limestone, in verse 6, when the sun rose, it was scorched and it withered away. What's the interpretation? What's the symbolic meaning? Skip down to Mark chapter 4, verse number 16. Jesus says, These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the Word, we said that's the common denominator, each group here is going to have a willingness to listen to what Scripture has to say. Here's a group who hear the Word, and instead of allowing it to just sit on the surface of their hearts, they accept the Word. And Jesus says they accept it with great joy. They accept it with great excitement. But there's a problem when you look in verse 17. He says, "...and they have no root in themselves." Here's someone who accepts the Word of God. Maybe they're baptized into Jesus and they're really excited whenever that happens, but they don't have any roots. They don't put in the effort to grow. They never take ownership of their faith. They're not rooted in Jesus. And because of that, what happens? Well, because they have no roots, when difficult times come, 
when hard times come, when persecution happens, and life gets difficult as a follower of Jesus, they immediately fall away. They leave just as quickly as they came. Maybe we could put skin on this. I can guarantee you this is going to happen throughout the summer. You're going to have middle schoolers and high schoolers who go to church camp. And they're on the spiritual high point of their lives. And they make the decision to be baptized into Jesus. That's a good thing, isn't it? The question is, are they going to have roots? Are they going to be rooted in Jesus? Are their roots going to run deep in the Lord's church? Are they going to take ownership of their faith? And that's one example of many to illustrate what Jesus is talking about here. The seed that falls on rocky ground. I'd say the majority of us here tonight are Christians. The majority of us here tonight have made the decision to receive the Word of God and we've received it with joy. Do you remember the day when you were baptized into Jesus? you remember the passion and the excitement and the joy that you felt? The question that we might need to ask ourselves is does your faith have roots? If you have accepted the Word of God into your life and into your heart, does your faith have roots? Have you taken ownership of your relationship with God? Are you doing all that you can to do what Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 3 to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? You want to know a good way to test that according to Jesus? What happens to your faith whenever bad things happen in your life? What happens to your relationship with God when persecution arises or trials come or temptations take place? Does your faith start to wither? Does your faith grow cold? Is it something that takes several steps backwards? What are we doing to make sure that we're rooted in Jesus? And it's not just about ourselves. Think about Christians who are, who are newborn babes in Christ. Those who were just baptized maybe a few months or even a few years ago. What are we doing to make sure that they are rooted in Jesus, that they take ownership of their faith and ownership of their relationship with God? Are we providing an environment and are we individually putting in the effort where we are going to grow spiritually? Because if we don't, Jesus says when bad times come, you're going to fall away. When persecution happens, you're going to leave just as quickly as you came. That's the seed that fell on the rocky ground. The fourth part of this parable is the seed that fell among the thorns. That's in Mark chapter 4 and verse number 7. Other seed fell among thorns. See, this seed fell in good soil. There's no problems with the soil. The soil was good and fertile. The seed sunk down deep into the soil. It started to grow up. It looked like it was going to be a very healthy plant. But what was the issue? The plant got entangled in some thorns. And as the plant grew, the thorns grew with it. And Jesus says eventually what happens is the thorns are going to take over the plant, choke the plant, and kill it. What's the interpretation? What's the symbolic meaning about responding to the Word of God? Well, again, skip down with me to Mark chapter 4 and verse 18. We'll lay the interpretation beside it. He said, Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the Word, so they've listened to the Word of God. But then in verse 19, Jesus mentions three things. He says they've listened to the Word of God, they've received the Word of God, they've accepted it into their hearts and lives, but yet they get tangled up in one of three things. First, the cares of the world. 
I'm trying to grow my relationship with God, but then I have all these cares and worries and anxieties that get entangled with my faith and they're growing up alongside of each other. Then he mentions the deceitfulness of riches. Oh, well, I have a lot of money in my bank account. And I have a lot of possessions. I think I can stand on my own two feet. I'm not really sure that I need this whole Christianity thing. I'm not really sure that I need Jesus. Oh, my faith is growing, but the deceitfulness of riches is growing along with it. And then the third thing he mentions is the desire for other things. That's kind of an all-encompassing category where I'm trying to grow my faith, but I also really want that over there. And I want to do that, and I want to participate in this. My faith is growing, but the desire for other stuff continues to grow with it. And what's the result? A person who hears the Word of God, they receive the Word of God, yet they come entangled with the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. Jesus says those three things enter in, they choke the Word, and it proves unfruitful. So again, we have to take a look at our lives as Christians. What have we become entangled with? What have we allowed our faith and our relationship with God to become entangled with? What's growing up alongside of our faith? Is it the cares of the world? The deceitfulness of riches? The desire for other things? You know, cares, worries, riches, desiring other things. That's not sinful in and of itself. That's not inherently bad. But what is bad is when it grows up with our faith and it becomes our number one priority in life. Jesus says what that's going to do to you spiritually is it's going to choke you. And it's going to prove you to be unfruitful. It's going to cause you to be unproductive in the kingdom of the Lord. Just like with the seed that's sown on rocky ground, this person, they may be growing up for a little while, but because they're allowing something else to grow up with them spiritually, it chokes them and they fall away from Jesus. But then, the fifth part of this parable is the seed that falls into the good soil. Jesus talks about that in chapter 4 and verse number 8. He says there are other seeds that fell into good soil. They fall into good and fertile soil. And as a result, the seed sinks down into the ground and it produces grain. It yields fruit, Jesus says, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. That's what the sower wants. That's what the sower is looking for. After all of these other failed attempts, the seed that fell on the path, the seed that fell on the rocky ground, the seed that fell among the thorns, the sower finally gets what he desires when the seed is sown and it falls on the good soil. So what's the interpretation? What's the symbolic meaning there? Well, if you skip down to chapter 4 and verse number 20, but those... See, in contrast to all of the others that we've seen so far, but those that were sown on the good soil are those who hear the Word. Just like every other group, they're listening to the same Word. They're hearing the words of Scripture, and they do what? They accept it. Luke's account of this parable tells us that these individuals have good and honest hearts. They hear the Word of God, and because their hearts are good and honest, they accept it, they receive it into their lives, and it completely changes them. It completely transforms them. Jesus says they accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 
and a hundredfold. Just like that's what the sower wants for his seed, that is what God wants for us. That is how Jesus wants us to respond to His powerful, living, and active Word. Whenever we hear the Word of God, even if it's different from what we've always heard and believed, whenever we hear the Word of God, even if it's contrary to what we might want, or what we've always thought, or what we've always been taught, when we hear the Word of God, Jesus wants us to accept it. Out of good and honest hearts. Lord, that's what you said. I'm going to receive that into my life. But it's not just, yeah, I'll accept the Word of God, but it's not really going to make a difference in me. If it doesn't make a difference in you, have you actually accepted it? Jesus says when you accept the Word of God, you're going to be changed. You're going to be transformed. And your life is not going to be about you anymore, but your life is going to be about Him where now you're not falling away from God like a couple of the individuals we've talked about so far, but you're producing fruit for God. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It's the fruit that we see in Galatians, the 5th chapter, verses 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you hear the Word of God, is that the kind of fruit that's produced in your life? Because that's what Jesus wants. For us to receive the Word, accept the Word with good and honest hearts, and instead of falling away from Him, to produce fruit for Him. So let's back up to how we started. What is the Word of God? Well, the Word of God is living and active. It is so powerful. And so the question that you have to answer and the question that I have to answer is how do we respond to the Word of God when we hear it, when it's read, when we study it, even if it's contrary to what we would want it to say, how do we respond to it? And it's something that takes some self-reflection. Are you the sower? Hearing the Word of God, do you respond to it by sharing it with those who you come into contact with? regardless of how they might respond to it? Are you like the seed sown along the path where you don't allow it to sink into your heart, but it sits on the surface and Satan comes and takes it away? Are you like the seed that's sown on rocky ground? Does your faith have roots? Are you rooted in Jesus? Are you rooted in His church? Have you taken ownership of your faith? Are you like the seed that falls among the thorns? Where as your faith grows, other things are growing with it. And it chokes you and proves you to be unproductive and causes you to be unfruitful in the Lord's kingdom? Or are you the seed that falls into the good soil? Out of a good and honest heart, receiving the Word of God, accepting the Word of God, and allowing it to make a difference in how you live every single day of your life. I like what a commentator named Garland has to say about this. He says, how the seed fares depends on the condition of the soil. Oh, it's the same seed. He's, he's throwing the same seed. But how the seed is going to fare and what it's going to produce depends on the condition of the soil. So the question is, what is the condition of your soil? The Word of God is unchanging. The Word of God is forever. How the Word of God fares in your life depends on the condition of your soil. So what is the condition of your soil? What's the condition of your heart? Be the good soil. Hear the Word. Accept the Word. And instead of falling away, bear fruit. Maybe it's the case that you need to do that tonight. 
by being baptized into Jesus and initially receiving that great gift of salvation. Or maybe you need to come back to the Lord. You see yourself in, in all of these other different types of soils and you want to be that good soil. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to study with you as together we stand and sing the song of invitation.